This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? It's Rashan here. Welcome to episode 21 of Inspiring Design. Today's episode is exclusively sponsored by F-Flat. F-Flat Architecture is a design research platform focused in the development of design strategies and architectural and media artworks. It's a very cool episode and one of the latest and the hottest topics right now. The, uh, it's all on VR technology, so strap yourselves in. And I've got one of the leading VR experts here with me, Frederico Fialo. I hope I got that name right. <laughs> but everyone calls him Fred here in Australia. And Fred is a lecturer at the School of Architecture at UQ. With 15 years of experience in the innovation field of computational architecture and digital fabrication, he's one of the leading researchers at UQ. He was awarded the Dean's Fellowship from the Uni University of California, developed innovative biological-based design strategies at California Nanosystems Institute. With over 40 publications on design methods and research in digital design and fabrication, his research primarily focuses on experimental design through the experiential traits of new media and computational strategies. That's just wow. <laughs> He's worked with top international design firms with firms such as Zaha Hadid Architects as well in London. So we've got a lot of knowledge here at the table. And Fred, thank you so much for giving up your time, mate. Thank you very much for inviting me, Roshan. It's a pleasure. Can we start off with a little bit of background and history on yourself? So, yeah, so um, I originally come from Portugal. And um, my, so my education was uh, in, in Porto in the, in, in, as a university, as a Bachelor of Architecture. Then I, I figured out, I did a, a post-grad on, on history of architecture, and I was really thinking, oh, well, I like history, but it's not really the thing I want to do in my life. So, yeah. And I was always looking to these uh, magazines uh, and journals that would have these architects with these kind of more extravagant type of formal outputs, like Zaha did and, and, and things like that. And, and I was thinking, well, this is what I want to do. And, and then I figured out, well, so where do they go to schools? And that's that was my next step, basically. So I learned that they come from the Architectural Association in uh, in London. Mm -hmm. And so I did a master there. And that's basically where it all started. So I'm a design research lab mm -hmm. degree. And then after that, it was, it was just dwelling into this kind of new design strategies and... Uh, and then the PhD, I went to California and then Istanbul, you know, so a bit all over the place. But yeah, after, after I think that's the, the axis where the master, where everything turned into digital and technology oriented. Yeah, wow. And, and I want to actually take a few seconds to ask you this question because Zaha Hadid, I'm a massive fan. And, um, and I know a lot of my listeners, including the, my students, are huge fans of her work. And, you know, being in Australia, she's worldly, worldly recognized as well. Uh, what was that like? Uh, so at the time, we were, we were very few. It's a, it was a very small office. I mean, they only had one one competition or two, I think. Mm -hmm. So there was not nothing 
a lot of build so when when it comes to that it's always a very small office we're around 29 30 people mm -hmm. and uh, so we were one-on-one -on -one with pat patrick schumacher with her right arm and, and zaha hadid and we're always co in contact with her so we have lots of funny stories with her wow uh it was in you know very intense yeah uh, we won a lot of competitions at that time and that's how the the whole office became wider and bigger and now it's all over the place yeah yeah wow there you go so you were right at the beginning it's that's well, amazing yeah well actually she, she she started 18 years before okay so it took a long time for her to to establish herself in uh, you know being a woman yeah being muslim yeah in this western world you know it's just all of that i think is totally under underlooked uh i yeah. mean she and she the role that she took in in combining technology and architecture mm -hmm. i think is pivotal for the whole architectural history so yeah brilliant there you go um anyway that's actually a really cool background and and i really love that this is one of the beautiful things about australia we've got this rich cultures coming in from all over the world and knowledge coming and building here so who is f flat what what's f flat all about so f flat was was after or more or less at, yeah at the same time that we, we i finished we finished our spelling in uh in Zahadid, so that's my partner Miguel Belek, and uh, mm -hmm. she was also at Zahadid. So, you know, after that we said, oh, we want to do our own little experiments. And uh, once you go into the architectural world, everything is in, needs to be focused on its industry, right? So it needs to be applicable and, and and you know concise. And what at the time, since we were still young, <laughs> we were ideal, you know, more ideologists and uh, and then we said we'd like to do our own experiments and F flat was born in 2003 mm -hmm. out of that and uh, focused on experimentation in design and mm -hmm. we did a lot of sound and uh, biological strategies so wow. sound because I don't know it's to be honest started also at, at the master but it's something that comes comes can kind of uh, second nature to us mm -hmm. you know, there's sound everywhere but we don't design for sound at all yeah uh, it's all mainly visual yeah uh, so that was kind of one 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 territory that we want to get in and the other thing was was make it more biological oriented because not at the time also because of sustainable element mm -hmm. but uh, to explore that kind of beauty that that's inherited in nature and everybody can can exploit it so that's that's basically how it was born and then out of that it was we went to the media arts and technology mm -hmm. uh, program at in california and then things extrapolated from from just architecture to media art yeah wow this, that's really cool that's what i mean i think it's such an untapped and growing field and you're right in the middle of that so that's brilliant um if, so what are the capabilities of F-flat? Like just so our listeners can understand and when they, you know, go online and do some stalking, mm -hmm. um, how, how, what, what are the capabilities of F-flat and what kind of services do you guys provide? So we, we do, we can do a lot of consultancy on technology and uh, mm -hmm. design processes. Yeah. Uh, but we do, mainly, we do a lot of our own work. And again, it's still very experimental and focusing more media art and but there's a lot of uh, digital computational architecture mm -hmm. so that's what we're trying to do so between digital fabrication or advanced fab manufacturing however you want to call it mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and then visualizations and and we took it since I guess 2008 2009 yep. we took it after this Californian 
uh, twist. It took a bit of a VR, AR kind of a input uh, after that. So, but it, it gets combined still. So yeah. I think one thing can infer into the other. There you go, guys. So um, when, when we release this podcast episode, you guys can jump on the website and have a look more at those details as well. But um, today I want to actually dive into VR and AR, and we've got the right man here with the leading edge on the latest technology. So in your definition, let's, let's cut to the foundational elements. What is VR? So virtual reality uh, is, is a technology that's been actually uh, developed since the 60s. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's always through, through the wrong reasons, I guess. You know, it's military technology right. and uh, based on uh, simulations for aircraft, airplane pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's focused on providing you the most real experience without actually being in the airplane. Mm-hmm. So a simulator where you have, you know, six degrees of freedom with your, in your vision and peripheral vision, everything like that, mm-hmm. which uh, becomes very, very immersive. Uh, so VR is an immersive technology that can provide you s- parallel experience to what you are surrounded of. Yeah, and it actually tricks your brain. This is, I think, what happens. And I want to talk talk a little bit more on that. But um, how does... So if that's the definition of VR, what is AR? AR is augmented reality. So mm-hmm. AR, the difference between AR and VR is AR uses the surrounding, your environment, mm-hmm. and overlays... A set of information or a set of uh, experiences over the your real environment. Yeah. While VR, you are actually totally detached. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard that this um, this can sometimes be confused with mixed reality MR. Yeah. How does the, how, where does where are the lines drawn on MR and AR? Uh, well, mixed mixed reality becomes a bit more constrained on the environment that you are in mm-hmm. while AR can actually be deployed or geolocated for example so you can you can actually locate it all over Brisbane or yeah. wherever where mixed reality is more towards a controlled environment but again it's an overlay of information yeah yeah so it's more local versus going beyond that yeah. constraining um, site there Correct. you go so one of the um, questions that I get asked a lot is um, from uh, from the schools and the clients that we work with is understanding how they can invest in VR. Now there's a there's a big push with this technology coming into almost every single industry, you know, at a global scale, and educators sometimes have misconceptions and misunderstandings on how to use VR in their classrooms or you know lectures or whatever the projects that they do. At a first level, what are the biggest brands that they should look out for, in your expert opinion? Yeah, well, it's good that you touch that subject on, on getting the technology, because I have a lot of brands because of laggards <laughs> that don't really want to get into the technology. And, they, and this crosses throughout a lot of educational mm-hmm. levels. doesn't really matter which ones. So yeah. I won't go there. I'll answer, <laughs> I'll answer your question, which I'm very happy to, and I really... so. VR and AR, the main players, obviously now and probably, you know, if you are listening to the podcast, probably you already know, mm-hmm. it's mainly Oculus and HTC Vives. So one is basically was originally from Google and mm-hmm. now it has its own branding. Oculus was original Oculus, but now it belongs to Facebook. Yeah. And I know there's negative connotations to both of those things, but... Um, I guess they are just there to support or to extract the technology. They are not inferring too much. There's mm-hmm. not any kind of data 
beyond your logins, elements and accounts that can be taken off. So mm-hmm. yeah, both experiences get, you know, are very, very individual. The other thing is uh, there are other players and uh, they are coming out uh, in white brands or smaller brands which are more cost effective. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then you start seeing to platforms like Sony and things like that. So they all start having this VR yeah. uh, technology embedded to it. Yeah, cool. So, and I understand that she, there's literally the cheapest method is the Google Cardboard, right? Yeah. And it's not necessarily the best way, but you use your smartphone, yeah. and some students can experience that at a very, very grassroots level. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So, uh, if you get the Google Cardboard, basically, you just you know you download the, the app, and uh, you might record things. There's there's some apps that you can actually translate your movies, or you know make uh, VR worlds, or you can import your own. Uh, construct a digital world and mm-hmm. uh, and and upload it to your phone and just you know put it in the cardboard and and just experience it like that. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a bit of differences obviously, but the experience is pretty pretty phenomenal, especially because you are wireless. Yes. That, that helps. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's happening though. There you go. And and um, one of the products that I love is the Oculus Go, mm. because of how portable it is mm-hmm. and the fact that. It's still a fully immersive, and you're not, you know, you're not using your smartphone. It's still quite cons- um, high quality, and because of the speaker system that's there, or the fact that you can use earphones, it actually does detach you in an immersive way. What are your thoughts on the Oculus Go? Uh, it's it's an amazing program. I mean, since the the last Oculus to this one, uh, the setup mm-hmm. the setup is just beautiful. It's just out of the box, literally. It just get the region where you have no no objects there's no no tracing cameras nothing and mm-hmm. you just get that region set it up and you are there and you are there you know uh, how, how long you want to go and the beautiful is like everybody's getting oh I hate these cords I hate the cables you know it's so constructive you get around me and wrapped and yes it's true yeah um, still I, I, I think there's going to be a bit of a way to release all the cable technology I think there's still going to be just mainly for computational power mm-hmm. but that degree of freedom that the Go offers it's it's really amazing I, I really felt the difference and again it's, it depends on what the applicability you want to go if it's mm. a heavier kind of content that you want to upload I'll definitely recommend the wired one yes but if it's something more you know uh, light and you know playful maybe the go is, is the way to go so exactly and I actually use that in meetings all the time and schools I find it that they are able to do that quickly because of it's you know low investment and you don't need a high spec machine to go with it as well so it's um I feel like it's it's a really cool time and this technology is getting you know packaged in these boxes it's becoming very affordable yeah. it's going to be rapidly taking over the world definitely now, looking at, like, if we break it down, looking at the portable thing, um, portable machines and the ones that have um, the requirement for the, the cables and a, and a high-spec machine, what kind of investment, total investment does it look like? So, like, my understanding and experience has been mainly with the portable machines. Mm-hmm. So, all you need is your standard smartphone and the free app. Yeah. What kind of um, investment do schools and universities and even, even professionals listening to this need to know if they're looking at let's say going down the oculus rift or uh, one of the htc products so one thing that's also going to go and on down on on this technology and i think it's going to be absorbed fairly well through through the world wide web is web vr so there's websites Mm -hmm. that you can just get in and you click on 
the WebVR and if you have the Oculus Go or um, the Google Cardboards or any of the VR technology, you'll just get immersed into the 3D, three-dimensional website. Wow. It's not the window anymore. So you can go actually and experience these spaces, visit, you know, things like that. So if you want to invest on that kind of a technology, there's, there's many, many realms. And as you said, Rashan, it just, you know, depends on what you are actually trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. But if it's for educational purposes... Mm-hmm. Due to the flexibility, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a go and uh, or you know if you want to set up that, you once you have the go, yes, you don't need a computer, but you do need the computer to build up the content. So if you have a computer lab already, that's fine. So it's it's just a go. So it's like six hundred ninety nine or something like that, mm-hmm. and you buy and that's all. But you always need a computer if you want to upload content to those things. So that's 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 one thing that people might think oh, I don't even need a computer anymore <laughs> well you can download the apps mm-hmm. on the go and everything but again if you want to make things then yeah. you do need a computer and if you do need a computer then that basically is a good computer with the latest gen of graphic cards you know like uh, 10 videos 2010 you know the RTX is now those those are the main components mm-hmm. because and, and the thing is if you have a good um, graphic card the CPU needs to be strong mm-hmm. so you just need to build up your computer with a good graphic card and nowadays I mean you can get it from two thousand three thousand dollars mm-hmm. so and and then you are on the go and and yeah so that's basically two thousand three thousand dollars computer six hundred dollars for the go or the wired version of either HTCs or or, or oculus mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah so that that should be the initial investment but yeah. that's if you want to actually create things, create content. Yeah, yeah. So it depends on that um, application, like yeah. you said. Yeah. No, that's cool. I, I, I think that reconfirmed things uh, based on the knowledge that I had as well. Um, so looking at the criteria, let's say we're exploring the content just from a school point of view at a secondary level. What kind of things that they should look at before they invest in it so whatever based on what you've said already is understanding what that end user is so if it's for facilitating this technology in a classroom environment and giving that vr understanding to their students how should they approach it and obviously state schools have a very different budget to private schools and even universities so given those logistical restrictions would you recommend any particular products or certain criteria bef- that they should look at before they get into this technology? Well, there, there's a lot of, of uh, content being developed for educational purposes, especially high schools. Um, so if you go to the Oculus Store or HTC or the, the Steam mm-hmm. uh, Store, so those are the stores for VR technology, uh, you can, if you write education, you'll see lots of things. So from English to maths to more engineering or STEAM or or STEM oriented. I've whatever. experienced some amazing bio ones and yeah. it um, it's, yeah. you know, jaw dropping. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the chemistry ones are, are always very visual as well. So yeah. they, it's, you know, collecting molecules and things like that. All sorts of animations pop up and uh, you, you definitely engage the students. And it's not by... Uh, like a um, um, low kind of interest just because of the technology because the experience is so immersive you really understand the principles of what you are learning and mm-hmm. I guess that's that's already there and, and if if the school is 
interested in operating in that manner, they could go in and do a big benchmarking on kind of what apps are being used, mm -hmm. what apps are being used in Europe and in the US already in schools. And uh, those things are already part of some curriculums and it's getting widespread and it's a huge industry. It's growing exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And, and this is, I think, one of the biggest challenges that Australian schools have is making sure that they are keeping up with it and, and how rapidly the technology changes. It's, it's one of the biggest challenges that schools have. And so you mentioned that it is an exponential growth, even on a global level. So shall we talk a little bit more about what the actual applications of VR is in the industry, mm. right? So I already have experienced things like in the medical industry, you know, where they're simulating, op uh, simulating operation theaters. You already mentioned military back in, what was it, 60, 60s? Yes, 60s, in the 60s, yes. <laughs> there you go. That's brand new information to me. I can't actually believe that that kind of technology existed back then. So that's incredible. But um, I've seen it come through in business, in design as a main tool, because that's very much in the forefront of it. Um, what are the actual, <coughs> excuse me, applications looking at the different industries and different sectors? Uh, so if you're getting into VR, you, you get all sectors in. So there's from finance to, to I don't know, medicine, as you said. Um, How are they geology. using finance? And finance is just for analytics. Yep. And the way you overlap, overlaying analytics is far more, more concise than having six screens in front of you. Right. Wow. Right. So yeah. So there's there's all kind of you know all kind of applications, forensics. Yep. Uh, insurances. You know to wow. see. You know. So it, it's always a big technology. I mean, for example, car accidents or, or crime scenes. Yep. You know, you go with the drone, scan the whole thing, take it off, put it on the VR. You have all the context. Wow. All the context. So you won't be missing any photos or any kind of data. Yeah. And you can see anything that previously happened. All the kind of traces that you know. So all kind of that. There's one particular case that's actually very convincing, you know, putting it to numbers. And again, it's current, because it's industry-oriented, crunching down to numbers is always one of those things. So Boeing started using VR a long time ago, but for training sessions mm -hmm. on their engineers. So before the 777, mm -hmm. uh, they wanted to, so they need to get all the engineers, flying them over to Texas, mm -hmm. giving the, give them instructions how to assemble and disassemble the engine mm -hmm. and then send them back to their own countries, right? So what happened uh, was that they tested, all right, let's do all this in VR. So they developed an application in VR to disassemble the 777 engine. And, uh, and so for that kind of expenditure, yearly, they spent more than $2 million dollars. Mm -hmm. Just flying people in and out mm -hmm. uh, for for education purpose or pra uh, training purposes, so they sent the the app to the origin countries. Nobody flew in. They said in the first year, they saved those two million dollars. Wow! First year, and then it became. You know, they have been using this for like five or six years. So imagine the the savings. Yeah. Also the. There is no errors when they call the engineers to you know put them in front of the engine. There is no errors on the training. They know what they are doing. It's yeah. impressive. Wow. There the same go. thing with, with medicine. Uh, you know, uh, training operations. You know, kind of elements. You know, it's it's very very accurate. For a design point of view, obviously it's the experience that you want to give. You know, yeah. if you want to develop a client, contractor, designer, all of them mm -hmm. just you know 
just having that kind of uh, awareness of what the space is. If yeah. I'll tell, oh, you're going to have a 120 square meters living room. And I'm like, oh, okay. The client does definitely doesn't That's know a, what it's it is. A, it's a huge communication tool and, yeah. and allows that, if, if you're depending on if you're a heavy left brain or right brain, you can start to visualize things easily. So that's amazing. Correct. Yeah. So that, that makes makes the translation to whatever kind of uh, person you are communicating with. So yeah. for design, it's it's very, very useful, of course. I actually recently saw this um, case study. I think it was done by Sony from uh, memory, but um, it was the impact of VR in a maths class. And it was on a secondary level. And these kids who have never been able to understand exponential graphs or you know um, trigonometry yeah. all of a sudden seeing these equations in a visual sense gets it yeah. within a few weeks versus that they've been struggling for a few years and they've never been able to get their head around it yeah. so it's it's uh, it's honestly one of the most coolest things yeah. i find <laughs> uh, it, it's it's because it's intrig- interesting to our existence right everything that you are born everything you experience is through space and time, right? Mm-hmm. So bring that space. If you can translate trigonometry into space, which is spatial, uh, and having that experience factor, not the abstract theory behind it, mm-hmm. which is what you're taught in class, people can make connections through other modes. So your brain, again, what you mentioned before, Rashan, is very good, left or right brain oriented. Mm. You know, it can definitely adapt. Uh, so, and that, that's what the technology allows. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And and going beyond that actual, uh, the industry sectors, one of the f- ones that I've reviewed and monitored closely is the safety mm-hmm. element of industry. And just looking at the construction industry, you know, the tradesmen who have to operate heavy machinery, and there's, there's a lot of risk that come with that. But uh, I've recently seen these case studies as well on tra- um, crane operators mm-hmm. Being back in the office, they're literally now white-collar people and are operating the um, crane in a site on the other side of their town or in another country even, literally sitting in front of their computer, fully VR, and it's a live feed of their video from that site, and it's like working with it, but they've completely taken out that risk factor of them working within that environment. So it's it's quite amazing. But um, one of the things I actually wanted to ask you was, Obviously, with that implication of using this technology, and I've seen numerous and numerous research researchers popping up to explore this area, is the impact of VR on the health of humans. Mm. And uh, like you know, people get motion sickness very quickly, mm. and they can you know the vision impairment, and you know they can depth perception can get affected. And they, I think they recommend saying don't drive after 30 minutes within 30 minutes of using VR. What are your thoughts on on that? So I, I have a lot of motion sickness. Even in car, I have motion sickness. So once yeah. I put VR, I know I was going to feel it um, because this motion sickness occurs because of the signals between your ears and, and mm-hmm. your visuals, your eyes do not correlate. Yeah. So you're expecting a sort of a turn or if you are you know, in VR and uh, there's no G-force. Yeah. So your ears balance accordingly, but there is no G-force. So that starts creating your yeah. motion sicknesses. When you are reading in the car, it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the book, suddenly the car turns and you are not expecting the turn. So there is the G-force. Mm-hmm. So the eyes are focusing on one fixed point and the balances are moving around. So that's why you get motion sickness. Right. So 
the reason why I explain this is because I suffered so much, I needed to solve it because I'm always in the technology. Of course. <laughs> so, um, and, and the interesting enough is, is about how the camera is set up in VR. Mm -hmm. So it depends on the experiences and depends how cinematic it might be, mm -hmm. the, the application. But if it's a moving kind of application, uh, that's when it occurs. It's, mm -hmm. If it's more fixed, being in an environment you can control moving back and forth is fine. And the trick to, to, to diminish, not to take it away, but just dramatically diminish is how you set up the camera. So for example, while you are walking, mm -hmm. you obviously don't feel like, you don't experience it because your brain absorbs, absorbs it, but uh, your, your camera, setting the camera like up and down, like up and down motions, like you are giving steps. Right. That takes all the the VR, the motion sickness out of VR. I see. Uh, the same thing when you are driving a car, uh, and if you make the kind of um, uh, RPM, so the rotations, and if there's some trepidation in, in the camera, mm -hmm. that diminishes the VR a lot. Mm. So all these kind of little tricks are being implemented, and came a lot of uh, cinematic and you know uh, psychoanalytic kind of uh, tests. So mm -hmm. yeah, but. Uh, Yes, you will suffer, but there's many other ways. I mean, but depends on the experience. I mean, if you put yourself in, in driving a Formula One or something like that, just probably you will get mm. a lot of motion sicknesses. But if you are doing a trigonometry, you know, or, you know, kind of an experience or watching a movie even, the cameras are set up for you not to do it because yeah. everybody is very aware of it. Yeah, awesome. There you go. And I've, I've actually never experienced motion sickness myself when it, using VR. I think the longest extent was about 50 minutes without a break. Yeah. But uh, whenever I work with schools and based on the research that I've found, we recommend at least 15 to 20 minutes yeah. blocks at a time. Yes. And just so that it allows that student, just in case they have, they're feeling something to yeah. feel comfortable yeah. and, um, <coughs> and make sure that they don't suffer from anything further. Mm. Um, what are your recommendations on the time periods? Uh, the time periods, again, the same thing. 10 to 15 minutes, I would recommend to take them off, have a, a glass and just uh, go or have a rest and yeah. assess what you need to do. Uh, again, even games, you know, if you go to that industry which wants you to play more and more all the time, yeah. uh, even games, the games that are in VR, they are set up to do that now. Uh, wow. So... There, there's a, a big awareness of there's not a lot there's not everything is tackled so we don't know how much I mean obviously you can spend more time but it's not really really beneficial to your health and mm -hmm. the issue is that they do not know what happens but you know like epilepsy is all the kind of stuff mm -hmm. might start occur because mm -hmm. it's basically you have two screens in front of your eyes right yeah. uh, which, which are very immersive so all those risks that start to to occur again you know your dopamine brain uh, levels in the brain increase because it's so immersive the experience mm -hmm. and you want it more so you know all those kind of elements do occur and that's why even in classes you know for education purposes you do have the the experiential tutorial in vr then they give a break go through the theory and then if they need it they give another five minutes or ten in order to reassess what you've learned and so it's not like a continuous like you'll be you know in class like put 45 minutes you put the whole thing and you are off you yeah. go no it's not like that so but it's it's it does 
relate to that experience more than taking you in and out of it, it's, it's crucial. So 10, 15 minutes, that would be my recommendation, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Well, there you go. And how about tackling that depth perception? Is it um, is there any tricks or t- tricks in the industry that people do to mitigate that or lessen the risk of depth perception issues? Uh, I think the, what... what uh, what they are kind of inferring is now the same also for computational power. It, one thing actually uses the other. You, you don't need to see so much, so far mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So when I'm looking at you, you know, my background is not, it's not focused, mm-hmm. right? You are not taking that amount of information. So what they are doing that precisely is that kind of that perception focus where you are looking at. So. Actually, VR now has eye tracking, so they are eye tracking your purpose and they know where you are actually looking at. That's amazing. So using that as an algorithm, yeah. mostly don't spend so much computational power because you don't need to render what's on the background and it's far more, uh, also as the brain experiences, is far more perceptible as reality. So it just blurs out all the information that you are not actually focusing on. So Yeah. yeah. Wow, there you go. That's actually really cool and this is what I mean. I feel like all these little issues that are popping up it'll as the technology evolves people are going to design it out and and keep constantly keep iterating it so it's really exciting to me <laughs> and actually that brings me to my next question what do you think is in in store for the future of vr mm. in the next you know five to ten twenty years what are your thoughts on that um well vr if you see you know both on the financial side and the appropriation of industry it's growing exponentially, so it's here to stay. It's like computers. Definitely. Yeah. That that's 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 a you know you might not like it, but no, oh, I love not. it. I'm I'm a huge <laughs> advocate of it. Me too, but yeah, I, I understand that some people that might be uh, resilient to it, but mm-hmm. um, it will here to stay like computers. It will facilitate your life uh, and and your elements, uh, either whatever the profession might be. It will give you another input. So that's that's a. Uh, that's a, a sure thing. How it will evolve? Uh, well, I think it's more and more creating that awareness mm-hmm. uh, on on what can it do, and also experience it. So if we are already mesmerized with when you put those things, you know, I'm I'm also I put that thing, and I'm still like, wow, yeah. this looks real. Yeah, uh, I I give it to my son, mm-hmm. and he just doesn't say anything. He just starts. Using it, yeah, business as usual. Yeah, you know, so, <laughs> well, like okay, so that's where you need you you, you figure the generation gap, and uh, and they are so into all what's digital, all this kind of uh, you know, apparatus that you are in front of it. When you put the immersive one, it's just another one. Yeah. So this generation is going to be always observing it, and uh, I think the design is more to go wireless, obviously, mm-hmm. more computational capabilities of going wireless is the you know the factors on walking around with vr glasses and things like that within constrained environments of course because you don't want to build up but mm-hmm. there, there's this very good advertisement i don't know who it is one either a car brand or, or a, a mobile company brand i don't really know mm-hmm. in singapore that actually they actually put the guy being streaming with the vr goggles um, and driving uh, drift in Singapore. Oh, wow. Uh, and the latency is so small that he is seeing through VR 
he's not actually seeing the road, he's seeing through VR, but the latency is so small, so that's 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 the aim. Wow, there you that, go. That uh, you can have actually emulate reality uh, to to the most accurate element. So it's it's going to be focused on how how to enhance that experience. Yeah, no, that's actually really cool. That's why I mean, I feel like the uh, capabilities are almost endless. It's up to the imagination almost of uh, the designers. And when you were talking about how that next generation, you know, business as usual, they just pick it up and go. That actually happened at a conference that we were presenting where we were giving VR demos. And um, we had two Oculus Go headsets because it was the most portable, easiest way for schools. And we had this dad and his son come up to us <laughs> and they've never used VR before. And I feel like the dad was about maybe 35 to 45 years old. And the kid, we asked him and he was 11 years old. Right. And they're like, oh, dad, can I use this? You know, I we're like, yep, go for it. So two of my members basically sat them down, gave them the same instructions. And I'm recording this. So I've got the video of this and <laughs> The whole thing happened within a minute and a half, and we gave them the same instructions. You know, here's the here's the controller. You put your thumb here. You put your index finger here. Go nuts, right? And we had already preloaded um, some simulations so that they can um, they can view that, yeah. and all they had to do was just view it, so they didn't have to operate it or anything. Yeah. Within literally 10, 20 seconds, the kid was out of that application and he was gone on his own thing. He was in the menu. He was going and looking at other things. <laughs> and the dad was lost in the program that we had preloaded. <laughs> he was confused based on what, where the controller and how that was visually translating in the virtual reality. And he was asking us, so we were giving him instructions. But within 30 seconds, the kid was operating his own one and telling the dad what to do. He was like, dad, no, 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 click here, go there, you know, point that, point to this thing. And then within, I think it was the 45 second mark, he took, the dad gave up, he took the helmet off, put it back <laughs> going, yeah, this is not for me, and he gave up. That 11 year old kept coming back to us maybe about, I think in total about nine or 10 times within the day, just because he was addicted to it. Yeah. And it's that dopamine release you mentioned, he just kept coming back and all he did, and we actually let him free reign. Yeah. Other than that initial, you know, if you're feeling sick, come and talk yeah. to us and one of us is going to be yeah. here at all times. We let him do his thing. <laughs> and he explored the whole thing. He, he wanted to, he was asking us whether we could download the program that he wanted. And we were like, maybe not now. <laughs> one day when you buy your own, go nuts. <laughs> but uh, it's amazing how this generation picks yeah. it up. Yeah, we, we had, so we did this exhibition at uh, State Library uh, recently, the home suburban uh, uh, exhibition and we had a, a piece that was both fabrication and VR so and and cutting short the story was going in we put the VR there we're just looking at the crowd that puts the VR goggles in mm -hmm. is either the the IT people mm -hmm. which are the grown-ups or everybody that's you know 15 and under wow it's just it's just crazy what because there's also the kind of self-awareness what kind of uh, you know, when, I'm, when people are looking at me in, in a public space and I'm doing these kind of weird movements, mm -hmm. uh, which is out of context, when you are a grown-up, that's your main focus. Yeah. When you are a kid, you just give me that and I just want to enjoy it, right? Yeah. So uh, I think all of that, uh, it contributes for, for the factors. And yeah, so it becomes second nature to them. That's it. That's it. And this is, I think, one of the biggest battles that I've seen in the classroom as well, where um, that previous generation's mindset of teaching is slightly different to facilitation and with VR unfortunately you can't actually teach it. it it is learned through play you have to allow your students to to an extent go out there and explore and learn from doing it themselves 
there's no manual that you can read beforehand and you know have all the answers before you put the helmet on <laughs> no, no and, and that's precisely it it's it just through experience and that's how they grasp because you know if you put you know a white cube in front of the table and I look at the white cube you look at the white cube we make our own assessments in different modes yeah. that's precisely what VR allows you you know if you put trigonometry in front of you you know there's 20 kids in the classroom they will address it differently right? yeah. some more abstractly some more constructive you know so the brain works in different modes and, and they have different capacities. These, for example, the IQ tests are now being outdated because it's not the amount of IQ, it's how you address the IQ, mm. right? That's, and people can achieve the same level yeah. of, of, uh, of objectives uh, if you put it in the right mode for their brain. Right? That's it. So, and some brains, you know, just a standardized kind of teaching is more abstract to everyone but some people have a lot of difficulty some students have a lot of difficulty with abstract concepts thus maths yeah. is, creates a big problem into it uh, so there's all these kind of elements which can, are being tackled in with the VR technology and again the VR apps there's now classrooms mm -hmm. where everybody the teacher says now everybody puts their goggles on everybody sees the same thing and everybody follows in the teacher you know but the teacher says okay so now you know calculate the angle and everybody does it 20 different manners you yeah. know, but the way they can follow through so there's a lead role not kind of uh, instruction role that gives you the rules yeah. but it's a lead role that you need to solve this angle you know these are the rules now enjoy it appropriate them exactly so they find their own method to get to yeah. that point B point precisely yeah no, that's brilliant, and and this is obviously one of the topics that I'm I'm a massive fan and passionate about. So I constantly keep reading and watching videos and playing with it myself. But um, a lot of the teachers, one, they have a lot of time constraints, right? Yeah. They have a million and one other things to do. Yes. They don't necessarily have the time to play. So if that's the case, and even students who are let's say looking at the my tertiary students are entering or are in the industry now, um, or they're looking at entering the industry in the next five to ten years, they haven't had the same experience and exposure to this what's your recommendation on the sh for the students and um, teachers who want to learn about this how do they keep up with it what are your um, ad what's your advice on that I, I think there needs to be you cannot impose everything uh, again as you said schools have different modes of resources and you know so but I think if they if they make it available uh, to to the teachers and say okay so at you know at 4 p.m. on Wednesday you'll have a VR sessions and you know you can demystify the technology and see what you can do and mm. see if you are willing to appropriate it or not into your classes yeah I think that's the first step without trying to push through the technology but seeing what are the benefits mm -hmm. and what are the the shortcomings, you know, because everything has a shortcoming, even in VR. So it's not like going to save the world. Not everybody is going to get great grades because of VR. Yeah. That's not the issue, but uh, it definitely allows you to experience other things. Uh, so I think within, within the school methods, it's just putting the technology available to the to the teachers in a in a more you know once per month or you know once per week and say okay at 4 p.m. every Wednesdays, you know come and see what you can do in VR in English and then maths and whatever, Kimmy. Just share, yeah, share knowledge. Share, share knowledge. And uh, I think that would be starting coming in. 
all at the same time and say, you know, because generally what I've, I've, I've recently arrived to Australia and I see you have focus groups here in education in the secondary system. So uh, those focus groups, if you technology and if you can say, okay, so there's going to be this VR experience, which students would like to come along, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, there might be a hundred mm-hmm. or there might be 20, but you can deface those things into say, okay, but this is VR not for gaming, yeah. you know, which is, there's always that connotation, which is totally wrong, to be honest. Uh, the most, uh, the biggest investment is still gaming, obviously, and cinema, cinematography, mm-hmm. but uh, the lot of the apps, the extra extracurricular apps are, are happening. So there's a lot of investment on that. So taking that apart, you know, bringing students in and say, and testing them, you know, take that test, you know, make this test, which is an assessment, not like a test, you know, probably material that you already know, mm-hmm. and go over it, and then put them in VR with the same content and see what works, what doesn't, you know, try and people that are actually engaged into it and slowly fit it into the school. Yeah, this is actually something that aligns with what I constantly say is chip away at it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you're not going to get a beautiful cabinet cabinet piece of from yeah. a from a if you cut down a tree. You have to constantly work at it, chip away one little bit at a time, and all of a sudden you have this beautiful sculpture or a piece of furniture or something. And um, yeah, I feel like it, given the rapid uh, ev- evolution of this technology as well, that's the only option to, I feel like, learn and make sure that it's not a, such an overwhelming thing yeah. where you have to sit down and study it for a week. No, instead, you know, spend half an hour or the hour, you know, every Wednesday, or like you said, just keep progressing. And isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And, and everything links in. I mean, like we <clears throat> now some universities, some schools are already using AI to grade students, right? Yeah. So if you have 1,000 students in a big classroom in university, you, it, it's very time-consuming to grade and you need to take two weeks, you know, and several tutors and, and professors to go over all the assessments. You know, with AI, it just does it, it does it very accurately. 90% of, of the results are actually on the target. And leading that to VR, it's just one of those perfect combinations where if you trace the outcomes and uh, and see how they assess, mm-hmm. everything starts to be optimized. And, and the teachers just now focuses on teaching, not on assessing, and because that's a big part of what they need to do. And, and, it, and that eats up a lot of their time and it's very consuming, both yeah. mentally and then time-wise. Yeah. Uh, so, you know... I think that it has the potential to, to do it, you know, in a very, very kind of combined mode. And, you know, I know AI is still a big subject. We'll probably will go there some yep. on one of your podcasts. But, uh, yeah, so these things are all inter- interconnected because it's all digital at the end. And I think VR has that potential to, to kind of, you know, as you say, chip away. But uh, at the end, they have a very good teaching culture through experience more than the abstract teaching that's been occurred through the 20th century and 19th century. Yeah. And this is one of the most vital skill sets I feel like our future professionals are going to need in their portfolio looking at entering the industry regardless of the uh, industry sector. So there you go, guys. It's been one of the hottest topics covered and I feel like I've learned a lot from it. So thank you so much for giving up your time, mate. Thank you. It was a pleasure.